realize that there is no more important thing we can be doing right now than to hear your word preached. And that's not that I'm anything special or that our uh, church is anything special, but that your word is special. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us to be attentive. Lord, help us as adults to teach the children to be attentive. Help us to be a good example. And help us to learn from your word. I pray, Lord, you'd help me uh, to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do the work he needs to do in your precious name. I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 17. And like I said, we're preaching through uh, the book of Genesis on Sunday nights. We'll probably be in Genesis 17 uh, tonight. And then maybe next week for a portion of the chapter, we'll be in Genesis 17. But in Genesis 17, we find something uh, special, something uh, that is talked about throughout the rest of the Bible. And for the first time in the Bible, we are... uh, Exposed, or we are introduced to the concept of circumcision. I don't know if you noticed that. God comes to Abram, and God tells Abram that he wants him to circumcise, to, for Abram to be circumcised, and for him to circumcise the rest of his, uh, the males in his family. And I'd like to preach tonight on the subject of circumcision, and how it relates today to the New Testament believer. To, we are the New Testament believers. We are uh, believers in Jesus Christ, and we do not fall under the Old Testament uh, time frame but we fall under the New Testament time frame. And I'd like to just kind of have a Bible study and preach a little bit on the subject of circumcision and what the Bible teaches about it and how it applies to us now. So I'm going to, you know, we kind of outlined this with a series of questions. Point number one is I want to answer this question. Does circumcision have anything to do with salvation? Does circumcision have anything to do with salvation? Now I'd like you to go with me to the book of Romans in the New Testament and go to Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4, and we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight, so I need you to move quickly, or just pay attention, and because we got a lot of different passages we're going to look at, but look at Romans chapter number 4 and look at verse 1. Romans chapter number 4 and look at verse 1. Just so you understand, Romans 4 is dealing with the time frame of Abraham that we just read of in Genesis 17. So some of these things should sound familiar if you were paying attention. Look at Romans chapter number 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, Paul says this, he says, What shall we say then, that Abram our father, Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works. Now, Paul is asking rhetorical questions. He's going to be answering them. He's asking questions in order to make points. And he's saying, if... Abraham were justified by works. He's saying, if Abraham was justified by the things that he did, by the actions that he did, the way he lived his life, he said, if Abraham were justified by works, look what he says. He he says, he hath whereof to glory. So he's saying, he has something to glory about, or like it says in Ephesians 2 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what I'm saying? He has something to glory about, or something to boast about. He says, he has the word of the glory, but look what he says. At the end of verse 2, he says, but not before God. Now you say, well, why does he say, well, he would have something to glory of if he were justified by works, and then he says, but not before God, because none of us can glory or boast or brag before God about our works and justify ourselves, because we're all sinners. So you see, he's ask, answering his question, look at verse 3. He says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it, that it is referring to his belief, his faith. It says, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So what was counted unto righteousness uh, uh, to Abraham? The fact that he believed. Look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not, 
but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So there we go again. He's making this point and he's making this argument. Look, to him that worketh not. Because people today will say, well, if I'm going to go to heaven when I die, if I'm not salvation, I have to put my faith in Jesus Christ, but I also have to do works. They'll say, I also have to go to church. They'll say, I also have to be baptized. They'll say, I also have to uh, put money in the offering plate. They'll say, I also have to live a good life. They'll say, I also have to repent of my sins. They'll say, I also have to do any number of things. You know, whatever religion you choose is going to tell you different things. Some of them are going to tell you you got to get catechized. Some of them are going to tell you you have to go to the confessional book. Some of them are going to tell you you got to speak in tongues. Some of them are going to tell you a whole variety of different things. Some are going to tell you that you're going to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. But look at what Abraham, what Paul says about Abraham in, in verse 4. He says, Now to him that worketh not... Hey, I'm sorry, that was verse 5. He says to him, not to the person that does a small amount of works, he says to the person that does absolutely no works at all. I mean, they never went to church. I mean, they never got baptized. I mean, they never did anything right. He says to him that worketh not, but believeth, that's the faith, on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So we see there, again, that what is counted for righteousness? Your faith, not your works. Look at verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. You say, why is Paul so repetitive? Because he's trying to make a point. You're not saved by works. Look at verse 7. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this... Now look at verse 9. And here's where we were getting at uh, based on Genesis 17. He said, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? Or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So he said, look, we reckon that Abraham received his righteousness by faith. Look at verse 10. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? He said, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. You see that in verse 10? For he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. You know, I hope we're not reading this, you're misunderstanding, or, or it's just kind of going over your head. He, Paul is saying, look, was Abraham saved when he was circumcised, or was he saved before he was circumcised, when he was uncircumcised? He says, look, he was saved when he was uncircumcised. He said he received the faith, he believed God when he was uncircumcised, and he says he received the sign... In verse 10, how was, it then, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which, is, which he had yet being uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. That righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So we see there, the Bible makes it very clear. Was Abraham saved before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? The Bible says he was saved by faith. He believed in God before he was circumcised. And because of that, he received the sign of the circumcision after he'd been saved. So we're answering the question, does circumcision in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament have anything to do with salvation? And the answer is no. No one is saved by being circumcised in the Old Testament, and nobody was condemned by not being circumcised. Circumcision is a work. If you add circumcision to salvation, you're adding works to salvation, and we read it very clearly. He says, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, to him, his, you know, his faith is counted for righteousness, is what the Bible says. 
Go with me to Acts chapter number 15. I apologize if I'm going fast with these, but i got a lot of uh, verses we got to look at in, uh, in this Bible study. But look at Acts chapter number 15. If you're in Romans, you go one, back, uh, one book back to the book of Acts. And look at Acts chapter number 15, look at verse 1. Acts chapter number 15 and verse 1. The Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea topped the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So we see here a story in Acts where certain men came and they were telling the people, Hey, you cannot be saved except you be circumcised. Look at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had... I want you to take notice of this. The Bible, you know, the King James Bible is so beautiful in the way it's written. Sometimes it words things differently than how we were saying and we miss what the meaning is. He says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation. He's saying they had, does it say that they had a small dissension and disputation? Does it say they had a small argument? No. It says they had no small dissension. You know, what is that saying? It's saying that they had a big argument. It's saying that they just had a big fight. It's saying that Paul just took off the gloves and said, hey, wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that I have to be circumcised in order to be saved? And he said, no, we're going to fight that right now, and we're going to disprove that with Scripture, and he started fighting it. You say, Pastor Jimenez, why is it at Verity Baptist Church? You guys, are, you know, you're always talking about all these other uh, uh, ways that people try to preach salvation, that you have to add something to salvation. Why do you get so mad about that? Why are you always fighting that? Why are you always preaching these sermons against it? Well, here's the thing, we're trying to have no small dissension and disputation. He says, it says, they had no small dissension or disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaimed the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sects of the Pharisees which believed. So you got to understand this. If you remember the Pharisees from the Gospels, if you're with us on, you know, studying the book of John uh, with us on Wednesday nights, you remember the Pharisees are the ones that are always attacking Jesus. Jesus. And some of the Pharisees eventually got saved. But because they still had these traditions in their head of their false religion where they were working their way to heaven. They were trying to add circumcision to salvation. It says, But certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So they were trying to say, Hey, you got to get saved, but you got to keep the law. you got to get saved, but you got to get circumcised. They were saying this to the Gentiles. Look at verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputation, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about Acts chapter number 10 when Peter goes to Cornelius, if you're interested in that. And in verse 8 he says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. And look what he says in verse 9. And I apologize. We're looking at a lot of scripture because we've we got to build the foundation of the sermon. We'll get to a little bit of preaching here in a little while. But look at verse 9. He says, And put no difference between us and them. Well, he's saying there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. He says that he, there's no difference. Purifying their hearts by faith... Now therefore, why take ye God and put a yoke upon the necks of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So he's saying, hey, these Gentiles got saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We get saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And he's just telling them, hey, don't add 
anything to salvation. So, is circumcision part of salvation? The answer is no. You may ask, should a New Testament believer practice circumcision? Now, I'm just giving you some practical things right now, and we're going to get into a little bit of the preaching here in a little bit. But let me just read a few verses for you. You don't have to turn to them, I'm just going to read them for you, just listen up. You know, we got to ask the question, should a New Testament believer, everything we do, you know, I try to teach uh, the people here at Verity Baptist Church, you need to question everything. Don't allow tradition, and don't allow, just because people have done it for thousands and thousands of years, shouldn't be a reason for us to do it. You know, if somebody says, oh, well, you, you got to circumcise your kid. Well, we got to study the Bible and say, well, why? And let's just listen, just listen to what the Bible says. You don't have to turn to these passages, but let, let's just listen to what the Bible says to a New Testament believer in regards to uh, circumcision. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse 18, the Bible says this, If any man called being circumcised, let him not become uncircumcised. If any called in uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised. Verse 19 says this, Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. So in 1 Corinthians 7.19, Paul says, hey, if you're circumcised, whatever. If you're not circumcised, whatever. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Galatians 5.1 says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. See, these people are thinking, oh, well, I'm circumcised, so I'm, I'm, a, I, you know, I'm a circumcised Jew, so I'm a little better than these Gentiles. And, he, and Paul is saying, hey, if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither, listen to what it says, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So he says, hey, circumcision availeth nothing. Uncircumcision availeth nothing. What avails something? Faith, is what he said. Galatians 6.12 says this, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves, who are the circumcision, keep the law, but desire to have your, you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon uh, the Israel of God. So we see there again... Over and over in the scriptures, in the New Testament, to New Testament believers, Paul says, hey, circumcision avails nothing and uncircumcision. He says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. So should we, or do we as Christians in the New Testament, need to practice circumcision? The answer is no. You say, why are you preaching about this? Well, we're going to get to something that's going to apply to all of you here in a second. You say, well, well this only applies to, to males. Well, you know, if you're a, a lady here, you might have children one day. You might have to decide, am I going to circumcise him or am I not going to circumcise him? I'm just trying to show you from the Bible, you can do whatever you want. Obviously, we have no rules of Verity Baptist Church. But I'm trying to show you from the Bible that the Bible does not teach that we as New Testament believers have to follow the circumcision of the Old Testament. I know of pastors, and I've heard of pastors, and I personally know of pastors who teach their people that they must circumcise their children in order uh, to follow the laws of God in order to be a good Christian. And that's just not true. Now let me say this. If you just choose to circumcise for whatever reason, that's not a spiritual reason. I mean, 
I guess that's okay. I will say this, I've never heard of a compelling argument to circumcise. You know, people think it's unclean. Well, maybe in the wilderness in the Old Testament. You know, there's a reason for that. Today in America, you know, the average responsible adult uh, bathes daily and forces their children to bathe daily. So it's not really a problem. You know, we're not living in, we're not walking in the wilderness of, uh, you know, the Old Testament there in Israel for 40 years. You know, people say it's a health risk. You know, well, again, in modern America, it's not really a health risk, and there's more complications that could come from performing a surgery on your newborn baby um, than would come from not. You know, obviously that would make sense. I've heard people say this, I circumcise because everybody else does it. Well, you know, that's always a good reason to do something, right? Because everybody else does it. (laughs) That's never a good reason to do something, you know? Uh, Like like the old old, um, quote goes, you know, that mothers would, would tell, you know, somebody, well, everybody else is doing it. Well, everybody's jumping off the bridge. Are you going to do it? You know, that's not, that's not ever a good reason. People say this. I've heard people say this. They say, well, if I don't circumcise my child, then they're not going to fit in. I think that's You know, do you realize what we're talking about? You know what circumcision is? I mean, it's kind of weird. They're not going to fit in, you know, on the locker room. Yeah, that's just weird. That's just awkward. So, you know, I've never really heard a compelling reason why to circumcise other than a spiritual reason. But the thing is, I'm trying to show you from the Bible, there's no spiritual reason why you need to circumcise your children. According to the Bible. And here's the thing. If you circumcise your child for a spiritual reason, you're just flat out wrong in disobeying God. Because, like, look. Let me give you an example. Let's say, you know, the Bible says that in the Old Testament they would sacrifice a lamb. And let's say that I took a lamb today and I sacrificed it. Now, the Bible tells me in the New Testament I don't need to sacrifice that lamb. But let's just say I said, well, you know what? They, I, I know I don't have to do it in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament they did it. And I think it would just be a nice thing. Well, here's the thing. It's not just a nice thing because in the New Testament to take a lamb and sacrifice it would actually be blasphemous because Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was our lamb who was slain for us on the cross. Do you see what I'm saying? So in the Old Testament they did it as a picture. They would sacrifice the lamb and they'd say, I believe that one day the Messiah is going to come. And just like this lamb has died um, to bear my sin, one day that Messiah will come to bear my sin. Nothing wrong with that. But if I did it today, it would be a blasphemous act because Jesus Christ is my Messiah, you already came. Does that make sense? So just because they did something in the Old Testament doesn't mean that we should do it in the New Testament, and in fact, we ought not do it according to what the Bible says. You say, so what is the purpose of circumcision then? What, what is God trying to teach us through circumcision? Why did He force Abraham? Who the Bible says was 90 and 9 years old. He was a 99 year old man, and God came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to circumcise yourself. Abraham, I not only want you to be circumcised, but I want you to take your 13-year-old son and circumcise him. Abraham, I not only want you to take your 13-year-old son, but I want you to take all your servants and any male that was born in your house, and I want you to circumcise Why did God do that? What is the purpose or what is the teaching of circumcision? Go with me real quickly to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter number 5. If you find the book of Genesis, you'll find Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua is the sixth book in the Old Testament. And go to Joshua, chapter number 5, and look at verse 1. Follow along with me, and uh, we'll bring it all together. We're doing good on time. Don't worry. The cake is still back there. The coffee is still warm. The ice cream is not melting. You're good. Don't worry. Joshua, chapter number 5, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass... 
When all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until, until we were passed over, that their hearts melted. Neither was there spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Now just so you understand the context. The children of Israel just spent 40 years in the wilderness. God, Moses has died. God is now getting ready to take Joshua and the Israelites into the promised land to conquer the land that God has promised them. They just passed the Jordan River. If you remember, when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they came up to the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea. And the Bible says they passed through on dry ground. 40 years later, when they were going into Canaan land... They came up to the Jordan River, and the Bible says that God also stopped the Jordan River and allowed the children of uh, Israel to pass by, similar to when He passed by on the Red Sea. Now the Canaanites who were in the land, when they heard of Israel, when they heard of the God of Israel, when they heard that God had parted the Red Sea, when they heard that God had parted the Jordan, when they heard that God had done all these miracles for them, the Bible says their heart melted. Neither was there spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. They were not ready to fight. They were saying, man, you know, we're, we're going to lose. Like, these people, they're powerful. They, their God is powerful. Look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives, and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. Do you follow what it's saying? All the people that came out of Egypt, they were circumcised, is what verse 5 says. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. So when they came out of Egypt, they were circumcised, those adults. But when they were spent the last 40 years in the wilderness, while they were in the wilderness, they did not circumcise any of their kids. So their kids, who have now grown, you know, to be adults, were not circumcised. Look at verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that He would not show them the land, which the Lord swore unto their fathers, that He would give us a land that flows with milk and honey. And their children, whom He raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass that when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till till they were whole. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day, what day is he talking about? The day they circumcised them. He says, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. You say, what is that talking about? The word reproach means a cause of blame or discredit. And the Bible says that the children of Israel had the reproach of Israel. They had a cause of blame or a cause of a discredit upon them. See, circumcision in the Bible, the purpose of circumcision was to separate you. Was to make a difference. Without getting into too much detail, the point was, you know, you, you should be able to... Let's say we were in, in, the, old, in the Old Testament... You know, and let's say that we had, uh, you know, there was, you know, just, just hypothetically, just an example. Let's say there was two women, and they had their children. And the, one was an Israelite, a circumcised baby, circumcised at, at eight days old. 
And the other one was just a Canaanite, a Philistine, an Amorite, not an Israelite. Let's say that these two ladies were talking or whatever, you know, and obviously they probably shouldn't even be doing that. But let's say they were, they were having a, a, a play date, and let's say they were going to change uh, their diapers. You know, as you remove the diapers from the children, you know, you should be able to see one of these is not like the other. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to get into too much detail. But they should be able to see... The, the purpose of circumcision in the Old Testament for the children of Israel was in order to separate them. Was in order to make them different than the rest of the uh, Gentiles around them. See, God was saying to Joshua, He's saying, Joshua, you, you have the reproach of Egypt upon you. He's saying, you are like Egypt. Because you've got to think, they spent 430 years in Egypt as slaves. They spent 40 years out of Egypt in the, in the wilderness. You've got to imagine that they must have picked up some of the attitude of Egypt. They might, they, maybe they picked up some of the music from Egypt. Maybe they picked up some of the clothing from Egypt. Maybe they picked up some of the words from Egypt. Maybe they, they started to look like the Egyptians and act like the Egyptians. And God was saying, Joshua, I want you to be different. Joshua, I want you to have something that separates you. Something that makes you different than those around you. And when God went to Joshua and said, and said, Joshua, these people have not been circumcised for the last four years. I want you to take a knife. I want you to take a sharp uh, knife. Uh, I'm sorry, what did he say exactly? I want to use the Bible terminology. Um, a, yeah, make these sharp knives. He said, I want you to make these sharp knives and I want you to make my people different than those of Israel. And when Joshua did that, the Bible says in verse 9, he says, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. The purpose was to separate you. You don't have to turn there, just listen to this verse. Jeremiah chapter number 9 and verse 25 says this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. You see that? Did you, did you listen to that? He said, I'm going to punish those who are circumcised with those who are uncircumcised. So God makes a difference between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. You're saying, I don't understand what the point of the sermon is. We're going to get to the point. We're going to wrap it up, up here in a second. And you're going to be eating your ice cream and, and realizing, wow, I never knew that. Go with me to, well, you don't have to go there. Go with me to Colossians, chapter number 2. In the New Testament, Colossians, chapter number 2. We've got a few more verses we got to look at and we'll be done. Colossians, chapter number 2. Look at verse 11. Colossians, chapter number 2. How does circumcision then apply to the New Testament believer? Do we have to be circumcised physically in the New Testament? The answer is no. You know, opt out when your child is born. Say, no, I don't need them circumcised. I'm not in the Old Testament, you know, Israel. I'm in the New Testament. But look at Colossians chapter number 2 and look at verse 11. Colossians chapter number 2 and look at verse 11. The Bible says, In whom also... I want you to see this verse. Colossians chapter number 2 and look at verse 11. The Bible says, In whom also ye are circumcised... Now this Colossians, just so you understand... The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, which are Gentiles, okay? These are New Testament believers who are not Israelites. He says, in whom also ye are circumcised. Look what he says. He's telling a bunch of Gentiles, he says, you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Do you see that? He says, you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. He's saying, you are circumcised, New Testament Gentile believer, but not physically. You aren't circumcised and somebody took a sharp knife in, a, in their hands and cut off a piece of your body. He's saying, you're circumcised with a circumcision without hands. 
And here's how. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Do you see that? You say, what are you talking about? The Bible uses this reference, and here's where circumcision applies to the New Testament believer. The Bible says that we are not to be circumcised in the flesh, but we are to be circumcised in our hearts. The circumcision of the heart is what the Bible says. You say, what, what does that mean? Well, think about this. In Joshua, God told Joshua, in Joshua chapter number 5, He said in two different times, He said, take thee a sharp knife. And He instructed him to cut off a certain part of the, you know, the foreskin of the flesh of the individual. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number 17 that that was a token, that was a sign of the covenant that God made. You say, what does circumcision represent? You, let me make this clear. You do not need to be circumcised to be saved, but circumcision in the Bible represents salvation. You say, what are you talking about? Well, He told him to take a sharp knife, right? Let me read for you some verses. The Bible says in... Uh, 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 23, it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Bible says that we are born again by the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23. Hebrews 4.12 says this about the word of God. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of thunder of soul and spirit, and... And of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You say, what, is that, what does that have to do with it? Here's what it means. When they would take a sharp knife and cut off a certain part of the skin for a physical circumcision in the Old Testament, that was a picture of what happened to you when you got saved. You say, what, what do you mean when I got saved? When you got saved and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God took His sharper than any two-edged sword, and He cut you. What, what, what did He divide from me? He divided from you the sin from you. Because the wages of sin is death. We're going to pay for our sin by going to hell. But what God did was when I got saved, He put me under the, the operation table. And he put me on the operation table and He operated on me. And He removed from me the sin by the sharp sword of the Word of God. And that is a picture of circumcision. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 17 says this. Just listen to it. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible says when you are in Christ, you become a new creature. In 2 Corinthians 5 17. Galatians 6 17 says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So the Bible says that a new creature is what avails. And the Bible says when you are in Christ Jesus, you become a new creature. See, circumcision in the Bible was a picture of salvation, but not only was it a picture of salvation, it was something to make a difference from the Israelite and the Gentile. See, the Bible says this. Go, 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 with there. go, go there with me. Go to 2 Corinthians. This is the last passage we'll look at. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 in verse number 17. I said all that to say this. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and look at verse 17. The Bible says... This is what God says to the Corinthians, who are Gentile believers. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, God commands us to be separate. That's what circumcision is about. And God doesn't expect us to be circumcised in the flesh, but He expects us to be circumcised in the heart. 
See, God wants you. See, the thing is, when, they, when the Israelites were circumcised, they, something made them different than those around them. And God expects you to be circumcised, not in the flesh, but in the heart. And He expects you to be different than the world around you. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life that makes you different than the world, the Gentile world, the Egypt around us? Or would people look at your life and say, oh yeah, they're a Christian, but there's nothing different about them. I mean, they say the same things I say. They listen to the same music I listen to. They use the same bad words I use. They get drunk like I get drunk. They smoke like I smoke. They do drugs like I do drugs. They, you know, they lie and they cheat and they, and they uh, fornicate and they, and they do all these bad things just like I do bad things. There's nothing different about them. But see, God called His people. God called the children of Israel. And He said, hey, I want you to be separate. He said, I want you to be different. He said, I want you to cut up. I want you to be circumcised. He said, when you got circumcised, I rose circumcised, the Bible says when they got circumcised, the Bible says he rolled back the reproach. You know what that means? Before they were circumcised, the reproach was on them. What does it mean to be reproached? To be a reproach. Remember I read, uh, I told you what it meant? It means to, well let me just get the note here for you because I don't want to misquote it. In Joshua chapter number 6 and verse Or was it? Oh, here in verse 9. He says, I have rolled away the reproach. That word reproach means a cause of blame or discredit. See, the cause of blame or discredit was upon them while they were uncircumcised. And I just want to ask you this question. Are you a cause of blame or discredit on the Lord Jesus Christ because you're not circumcised in the heart? See, the thing is, even in the Old Testament, it's always been about your heart. It's never been about the outside. Even in the Old Testament, it was about their heart. The physical circumcision of their body, of their flesh, was just a picture of what was supposed to happen in their heart. The Bible says in Leviticus 26.41 that they were to be circumcised. He said, if you're uncircumcised, hearts uh, be humble. In Deuteronomy 10.16, he said, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Deuteronomy 36 says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. Jeremiah 4, 4 says, Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Jeremiah 9, 26 says, Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness for all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in their heart. Ezekiel 44, 7 says, In that ye have bought into, brought into my sanctuary strangers uncircumcised in heart. Ezekiel 44.9 says, Thus saith the Lord God, No stranger, uncircumcised in heart, nor uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter into my sanctuary. It's always been about your heart. Your heart is your soul. Your heart is your mind. Your heart is who you are. And I just want to challenge you and ask you this question. Are you a reproach to the name of Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us, I won't have you turn there, but in Hebrews 11, the Bible, uh, Bible tells us that God is actually ashamed to be called certain people's God. The Bible tells us that you can lead your life in a way where when you tell somebody, hey, I'm a Christian, God's actually embarrassed. When you tell somebody, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus is actually ashamed. When, when, when you tell somebody, hey, I go to Verity, hey, let me ask you this. If you tell somebody, hey, I go to Verity Baptist Church, are they going to say, man, wow. I don't know about that church. I don't think I want to go because they know how you live your life. Or is your heart circumcised so that you're leaving, living a life that's separated? The Bible says we are separated from the world and we are separated unto Christ. Where people look at your life and say, man, there's something different about that person. 
like we're preaching this moment, this morning about being content? Would people see you go in the ups and downs of life and say, wow, man, just like Job, as they struggle and as things happen in their life, I don't know how they do it, but they just find a way to be content. Like Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, whether I'm in prison, whether I abound, whether I'm low, whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry. He said, hey, I'm always content. Would people say that of you? Or do they see you at the bar with them when things don't go right? Drowning your sorrows in alcohol. And they say, there's nothing... There's nothing there. See, the Bible says we become a reproach to the name of Christ when they see our lives and our heart that is not circumcised, it's not different. Pastor Jimenez, do you think I should circumcise my child physically? No, but you ought to maybe work on circumcising your heart and making yourself different from the world. Because look, the last thing I want to do is get to heaven. Do you realize the Bible says that life is but a vapor? The Bible says that our lives are so short. I mean, we're going to live maybe 70 years... 80 years, 90 years? You're going to get to heaven and spend eternity. You say, how long is eternity? I can't even comprehend eternity. You think 10,000 years and, and it, that's... A, I mean, it's, it, there's no time in eternity. The Bible says you're going to spend eternity in heaven and all you're going to have to show for it is the measly 70 or 80 years that you spent on You think I want to get to heaven and spend eternity knowing that my whole life I was a reproach to the name of Christ. You know what? I'd rather just take the good old sharp knife of the King James Bible and learn to circumcise my heart. You say, you say, well, what, what, you know, people don't like this type of church. You know, we've had many people come here and they'll leave. You say, and you know, they say, oh, well, I, I like the, I like you, and I like your preaching, and they'll say, they'll make something like, I'm just not really into that those old hymns. Say, you know, I, I kind of want to go to, 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 you know, they'll say, I'm, I'm going to go to Capital Christian Center. Because they have like a live rock band there, and, and it's just a lot more lively. And I just kind of like the music. Well, let me ask you something. Is there a difference between the Christian rock music at Capital Christian Center and the worldly rock music on the radio? You say, you know, well, the words are different, okay, but there's not much difference. Sounds the same. Acts the same, feels the same. Is, is there something different between the contemporary Christian music down at Calvary Chapel than uh, the soft rock music on the radio? See, there's no difference. You say, why is there no difference? Because they don't got the sword of the King James Bible. See, they're using a butter knife of the NIV. Or they're using a butter knife of the New King James. Or they're using a butter knife of the American Standard. You say, uh, I don't really understand what you're talking about. We got a sermon on the word of the saints attack on the Word of God. If you want to listen to it, go ahead and listen to it. And, figure, and, and we'll teach you why the King James Bible is the Word of God. And it's quick and powerful like the Bible says. But see, these churches, they're not showing people to be separate. They're not teaching people to be separate. They're not teaching people to be different. They're not teaching people to act different, live different. And, and the thing is, we're putting out a bunch of Christians who are just nothing but a reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're not circumcising the heart. You say, why did you preach this sermon? I'm preaching this sermon because I want to teach you this. Be circumcised in your heart. Make a difference between you and your co-workers. I'm not saying be rude. I'm not saying I, you know, the holier-than-thou attitude. But I'm just saying, just decide, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm going to be different. I'm, I'm going to be separate. I'm not going to... There's going to be something about me that's gonna, they're going to be able to tell apart. And they're going to be able to say, hey, there's something different about that one. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's what circumcision is about. And we don't circumcise in the flesh, but we ought to be circumcised in the heart. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church, Father.